This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Seek Reality Radio with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about your reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here is Roberta. There is one reality. Isn't, isn't it, doesn't it astonish you that so few people are talking about the fact that here we are, even in the 21st century, continuing to talk about living in two simultaneous realities? We have scientific materialism and we have spiritual theism and never the twain shall meet. At this point, of course, neither of them can tell us about our one reality because both Christianity and materialist science have devolved into belief systems. One is theism, one is atheism. So how can you and I find the truth? Well, when we study nearly 200 years of abundant and consistent communications from the dead, we get a breathtakingly complete glimpse of what actually is going on. And we learn from the dead that what, what the reality is they live in now is consistent with both quantum physics and the teachings of Jesus. How thrilling is that? Our guest today is my wonderful friend, the brilliant and irrepressible Dr. Gary Schwartz of the University of Arizona. Gary is among a handful of scientists who are researching our one reality in a traditional university setting, and it takes guts to do that. His 2003 masterwork is The Afterlife Experiment, and that was the book that finally made me realize that some psychic mediums actually are in contact with the dead. Welcome, Gary. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> I hardly know where to begin. There are people who will be listening who've never, who, who may not be sure about what your history is. Could you just tell us again very briefly how a traditional scientist who started as a skeptic, and I should just add most of the really good researchers in this field started as skeptics. How did you get from there to here? Well, the the brief story is that I was trained as a Western scientist. I was I was blessed to have really good training. I did my PhD at Harvard in clinical psychology and psychophysiology. I was I was raised essentially to be an atheist. I mean, I was taught it was ashes to ashes, dust to dust, case closed, both by my my parents' religion and also by Western science. And it really wasn't until I was a a tenured professor at Yale that and and I have a passion for physics that I began to study the nature of light um, and realized that there were phenomena in physics which were which led us to a different conclusion that are that that light itself had a kind of immortality and that our light our energy and information continued like the light from distant stars after we quote physically died so wow. I began to become open to all kinds of possibilities, um, including the possibility of life after death. And I even developed a theory which turned into a book called The Living Energy Universe about not only how this this um, essence information and energy would 
could continue in the vacuum of space, but more importantly, it was alive and growing, and that it had all the same properties of what we call feedback loops um, in, um, in what we call the physical and material world. But that wasn't enough to push me into this area. Um, what happened was I began to then meet different people, and they were mostly women who um, were grieving the loss of loved ones. Um, for example, Dr. Linda Russick was grieving the loss of her father, a distinguished ca- cardiologist. Or, and then I met Susie Smith, who had, who had initially begun by grieving her mother, um, but then actually became a medium herself. And yes. became convinced that she was in continuous communication with her quote deceased mother for more than forty years after her mother died. Um, and then I met a woman, uh, Mrs. Stardust Don Johnson, whose father, whose husband had been a very distinguished music professor at the University of Arizona, and he had been actually murdered. Um, and um, due to a, a person who was on drugs. It was a very sad situation. And she desperately wanted to know whether or not there was life and death, uh, life after death. So the way I, the, the summary is that I was pushed there by scientific theory and evidence, but I was pulled there by love, by Linda's love for her father, by Susie's yes. love for her mother, by Stardust Johnson's love for her husband. And when you're pushed and pulled in the same direction, <laughs> yes. it's very hard to resist. And that's how I started. Yes. Wow. Yeah, I, 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 as you know, they send the, the people working with us who are not presently in bodies, send people into our lives that will help to nudge us in the direction that we probably chose before we were born. And now we, uh, it's time for us to do the things we had committed to doing, but we don't remember consciously what they were. So it sounds pretty much as if that's what happened to you as well. Yeah, I mean, I would say the universe has been, has been increasingly banging me on the head. <laughs> To get involved with this work and stay involved with this work. Yes. So, so, but you were still skeptical. Um, I, I, my favorite of your books is the afterlife experiments because it so changed my life. I had been fighting believing in psychic mediums the whole time. Um, I had had some readings in which there was cold reading and I was very skeptical. I'm, I'm a skeptic. One of the things people need to understand is that most good researchers are skeptics because if you're too credulous, you go off in some weird new age direction and you don't focus on trying to understand the truth. But I, I was skeptical until I read your book, um, and I recommend that everybody read The Afterlife Experiments. It came out in 2003, and it will change your world if you are skeptical, because these, the best of them are actually in contact with the dead. There's no question about it, and uh, you, you convinced me of that. What but, was it about but, that? But you were skeptical, too, at sure. that time. I could tell you were. He was like, oh, my goodness, look at this result, is, is, is what you kept saying in the book. The truth kind of. is, I, and I still, still keep saying that today. I mean, I've, I have seen so much evidence in so many experiments with so many mediums now over the past 15 years that, that I've been overwhelmed by the evidence that to come to the conclusion that not all mediums are fakes, that not all of right. them are frauds. That there are some who can truly do this. They can do this um, extraordinarily accurately, and they do. And many of them do so with with great integrity, caring, um, and so on. And in the early days, it was it was a case of constant disbelief, um, confusion, wonderment, in yes. awe of what I was yes. observing. And I think you know you know the story that 
because I mean you are because you're a lawyer. Of course, you're concerned with details and you're concerned with accuracy um, in the kind of law that you do, and the same thing in science. And I didn't want to be fooled, so yep. what I did was um, I became a you know if you can't beat them, join them. So I became. Um, <laughs> I became a, a fake medium. I read secret books on how to become a fake medium. I took a course on how to become a fake medium. I'm a pretty good fake medium. Wow. So I know what the tricks are. So I can yes. design research to make those tricks oh. no longer functional. Isn't and then that the, I met these extraordinary people yes. who, as John would put it, would be willing to sit in the hot seat and be tested under single blind studies and what are called double blind studies and then triple blind studies yes. and we kept getting positive results yeah no yeah he's an amazing medium i uh, i've watched him because i for had occasion to go to probably above the last 8 or 10 years to see him maybe four or five times widely mm-hmm. separated and i saw him go from hmm, i think i'm over here someone above feels like a mother vibration or was a mother in life. No, not you. Maybe the one next to you. And, you know, he was like, something was going on because he ended up finding the person, but it was a little vague. The most recent time I saw him was in 2012. And it was like, I'm right there. No, the woman next to you, stand up. Your mother's coming through. She died in a car crash. It was <laughs> totally, totally right on. Because what, one of the things people don't need to understand about mediums is that they're working with a team um, of dead people, um, and with it, who, most of my th- whom I think are psychic as well, and there, there's mind reading going back and forth here between them and their control uh, or their group of controls, and they have to come up with ways to make that clearer. And as as they work, the longer they work together, the better it is. So you tested him when he was still in the mother vibration stage. Now he's right on he's getting better and better it's quite yeah i mean he he participated in three experiments in my laboratory which i describe in the afterlife experiments book before he became famous before he began television shows before he had his best selling books um yes. and he was you know a young turk who was committed to this work was convinced that what he was doing was real and he was one of the mediums that forced me to the conclusion that um that some mediums are the real deal yes yes um it's exciting to be watching these things happen, um, but it's really even more exciting to be participating. Um, why don't we sort of talk a little bit about what you're working on now? Because you've you've been in so many different places, and anyone who is interested in learning about this field, read every one of Dr. Schwartz's books. Gary Schwartz, S C H W A R T Z, on Amazon. They're all there. Um, they're probably inexpensive in Kindle, but. His books will introduce you to how a scientist approaches the, our greater one greater reality and how it works. So, with that little plug, what are you working on now, Gary? We're going to f- well, working on a few things. The one that we're most f- focused on, which actually I will be uh, giving a keynote address on at the conference that you are co-organizing a next week from uh, now. a week yes. from now, um, is on. This research that we've been doing on using state-of-the-art, sophisticated um, technology to be able to detect the presence of spirit um, and with the goal of creating what would become hopefully a, a reliable means of, of electronic communication. Um, and I call it the evolution from the cell phone through the smartphone to what I, what I call the soul phone. Um, and I actually use there's a, a the um, uh, I think it's in the proceedings the published proceedings of the book 
Um, I actually uh, have included in the uh, introductory chapter to a new book I'm currently writing, which is called The Soul Phone Revolution, that lays out, first of all, how it is that I came to the conclusion that this that this technology is going to appear um, in all in all likelihood. I mean, I think the probability of occurring at this point is at least 95 to 98 percent. And I think um, you're right about that. Yes. And by the way, I the 5 percent or 2 percent that it, that it might not occur is a real 5 percent or a real 2 percent. I mean, there's a chance that it won't. But but the, the totality of the evidence, um, and I use five kinds of components for reaching this conclusion, including a lot of research that we've done in my laboratory and are doing right now, um, all point in this direction. But the second half of the book deals with the profound changes. The subtitle of the book is called Understanding the Greatest Transformation in Human History. Because (laughs) what people do not realize is this technology is going to be a bigger revolution than, for example, the Copernican Revolution. Oh yeah, uh, that that the sun, you know, does does not revolve around the earth, and the earth is not the center of the universe, um, and that's because it touches all aspects of our lives. Yes, um, I agree. So, yep, I know you agree. I mean, and one of the <laughs> examples, one of the least uh, controversial examples of the technology that I illustrate is, you know, imagine that a young man is murdered, and they, and the uh, there's a uh, there's a trial, and the this person on trial who is the uh, um, who has acknowledged that he's killed the person but he's arguing that um, that he was threatened um, and so he did this in self-defense and it's unclear as to whether or not this young man was actually the young man who died was killed whether he was actually contributed to, to the death that was really threatening this person or not and there's even a tape recording where you hear somebody being threatened, and it turns out that 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 the the family members of the person who's killed say it's their loved one, and the family members of the person who's on trial says it's their loved one. Yeah. So there's so there's there's lack of clarity about uh, about about guilt. Now, let's just say that the soul phone exists and this technology is, and yet and you can Skype, you know, spirit Skype, just like we have. Um, um, you and I could be Skyping if we had the video on. And the question is, should the person who's deceased be allowed to testify at his own trial? Because he was there. Yes. And he will have certain details that, of course, nobody else would have. Now, if he was alive, it'd be a, if he'd been attacked and didn't die, he would be allowed to testify at his trial, and he'd be cross-examined, and then the jury would weigh the evidence. But because he's not, quote, alive anymore, he doesn't have that capability. But once we have technology that is as reliable as a cell phone, a smartphone, you know, the soul phone, yes. um, should he be afforded the opportunity? Does he have the right to testify at his own trial and be examined and cross-examined? Also, during the sentencing phase, should he have a right, if the man is convicted of, of, of having killed him, should he have the right to have some say as to what the, uh, the, 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 the punishment should be? Um, yeah, you, you and I have talked about this, about the um, status of a person who is dead but communicating and, and, mm-hmm. and incontrovertibly communicating, and right. it's a very complicated area. But I do think that... It's hugely we, complicated. It's going to turn <laughs> everything upside down and inside out. But what I, what I feel a responsibility to do 
is to have the public be aware of the fact that you know your vision of the one reality is such a beautiful term and you know just as human beings were not gifted with wings but we were gifted with the intelligence to learn to be able to fly and just because we uh we, we're not gifted with the capability where are you located right now i'm in austin right you're in austin you and i could not talk personally right now right, right. <laughs> to hear each other but we were gifted to be able to, as a species, to create, for example, Skype, which is how we're doing this right now. Yes. Skype audio. So in the same way, uh, most of us can't see spirit and most of us can't communicate with spirit. And there's very good reasons why we can't. And we might even talk about that toward the end of the show when you mentioned the possibility of the concern for, quote, uh, spirit possession, particularly negative forces. And what's the protective purpose of the veil? And yet, we have the intelligence to create technology to discover i've started calling it the physics of spirit i'm particularly interested in the physics of spirit yes. and therefore how we can we can evolve into truly one world but the consequences of that for our educational system for our legal system for our scientific system for our religious systems yes. for our intellectual property systems on and on and on are it, re- huge. it revolutionizes everything it revolutionizes as you can, as you can see, dear listeners. Um, Gary and I, when we get together, we <laughs> cannot stop talking. We just uh, we, we, we each one is talking a little ahead of the other, um, and we have to take a brief break. When we come back, I'll tell you what I think the consequence will be the most important one. Oh, You're listening good. to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. Our guest today is my dear friend, the brilliant Dr. Gary Schwartz, and we'll be right back. <laughs> Roberta Grimes spent decades reading more than 150 years of abundant and consistent communications from the dead. The result is her book, The Fun of Dying, Find Out What Really Happens Next. The Fun of Dying shows you why your mind is eternal. It explains how you can enjoy the death process, and it describes in detail the glorious forever that awaits us all. Now Roberta follows The Fun of Dying with The Fun of Staying in Touch. Learn how our dead loved ones give us spectacular signs of their survival. Learn about the wonderful ways that you can stay in contact with those you love. Go to robertagrimes.com for more information. It turns out that love really is eternal. Roberta Grimes studied the afterlife evidence. She learned a lot more than what happens when we die. She also discovered that we actually are perfectly loving, eternal beings. To help us explore who we really are, she's begun a multi-generational fictional saga that she calls Letters from Love. Letter from Freedom and Letter from Money begin the series, and Letter from Wonder is due in the fall. They read like fantasy romance, but they are the glorious truth. Also, enjoy Roberta's My Thomas, the beautiful tale of Thomas Jefferson's marriage. Her new novel, Rich and Famous, is a romance set in the go-go 80s. Check out robertagrimes.com to learn more. Knowing the truth about our eternal lives changes everything.
Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. We're talking with my wonderful friend, Dr. Gary Schwartz of the University of Arizona at Tucson, who is going to be the keynote speaker in a week at the conference in Scottsdale that I've been talking about for the past almost year um, called New Developments in Afterlife Communication. And it's going to be one for the ages. Uh, People are coming just attendees are coming from as far away as South Korea. We have presenters, uh, doctor, uh, I mean, I don't think he's a doctor. He's a, he's an attorney. Um, Victor Zamet is probably the leading original, uh, researcher in this field. He's an attorney who's doing what I do as an attorney, trying to understand from a factual perspective what's going on. He, he's a hero to many people and he will be there, um, as a presenter. Um, Sonia Rinaldi from Brazil, who is, a leader in the area of developing a, a way to communicate through computers will be there. And people will be there from Canada. They'll be there from most of the United States. And we are just going to make news. Uh, all of the presenters are being recorded and their, their, the recordings of their sessions will be available. So if anyone's interested, uh, that will be available in a few weeks. But meanwhile, I'm, I'm, I welcome everybody who's going to come and I wish, frankly, that everybody could be there. But Gary, who's our keynote speaker, and I are talking about uh, what the impact will be of a true soul phone. And a soul phone, I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, Gary, a soul phone would be a way for people to communicate with a relatively reliable reliable rate of of success with people that are dead. So Yes, actually, I would even make it more controversial than that. And And I wrote about this in the Sacred Promise book. This technology will make it possible for people who are in the who are living in a post physical uh, reality. So it's not just quote deceased people, but spirits of all levels can, in principle, use this technology. Okay, that's even grander. I, I was sort of on a, a narrower level. To my in my <laughs> mind, in my mind, what will happen is this: uh, someone will come up with this, or some group of people will. And they'll make it available. So people who've just lost a child can talk to their child. And the child can say, you know, in ways that are impossible to challenge it, what they're doing, how they're doing. Everything's fine, Mommy. I'll see you soon. Don't worry about me. People who've lost a spouse of 50 years will be able to hold hands sort of on the phone and Absolutely. talk it's about their like lives. Fa- it's like FaceTime or Skype. It is identical. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so, so let's say this is suddenly happening and the people who have been keeping the truths from us, to be perfectly frank, for the past more than a hundred years, they've been debunking and denying in the, in order to support their own belief system, which is materialism. Um, they do this from a scientific perspective and call themselves scientists, but I just call them fools. The debunkers will try to debunk <laughs> it. But how many people will look at them and say, you know, you've been lying to us for a hundred years. I just talked to my mother. I just talked to my child. And over and over, all over the world, people are going to look in the mirror and they're going to say, who am I kidding? The, nothing as it is as if, uh, it, it is the way it's, we've, I've been told it was. Because I'm talking to someone now who is telling me, you know, I was a Catholic all my life and I've learned Jesus was right, but Catholicism really isn't. I didn't need to be redeemed by anybody. God loves me too much for that to be a need. So it's going to revolutionize religion. I'm hoping that Christianity, because Jesus was right in tiny details in the Gospels, I'm hoping Christianity will seize on that and therefore survive. Uh, but those who insist, no, we've got to have a bloody sacrificial redemption or God can't love us, those people are wrong, and they'll know they're wrong. 
scientific materialisms, materialistic folks who keep insisting that there is no spiritual reality will be made to look at the dark matter and dark energy, which makes up 95% of the universe, and say, hmm, maybe we should have looked at that as something that might be real. Everything will change. As you say, it certainly is going to have an impact on our legal system. It's going to have an impact on our daily lives. Think of the, of the grief that will be assuaged when people get to find out from someone who has died that that person is okay. And think of the, the difference in people's understanding of their relationship with God when they understand God is real, but God is not as they've been told. God doesn't judge them. God only infinitely loves them. All of this they'll learn, and they'll learn it from a source they trust, which is someone they love who's now theoretically dead, but actually more alive than ever. You so you're right. So <laughs> <laughs> you change everything. People don't understand the implications of the change in our whole culture, and actually in, our, in the culture of the world, that will come from people being able to know the truth from a, tr- a source they really trust. You know, it's interesting that, because you, you reminded me of something else. Um, a number of years ago, um, it may have been four or five years ago, I, I was a visiting professor at Santa Clara University for a week, and I was invited there in part by um, Professor Thomas Plant, who is uh, actually did a postdoctoral fellowship with me when I was a professor at Yale. And he's a distinguished professor there, and he directs a, an institute on spirituality and health and so on. And and so I was invited to be there for a week, and he was, he was giving a, 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 a senior seminar um, in psychology and spirituality, and he asked me to, you know, lead the seminar. So I took this opportunity to ask to share with the students the evidence up to that point that pointed in in the direction of the of this technology manifesting. And then I asked them to what they would do with this phone if they had it. Yes. What would they do with it? How how would they use it? And, of course, many of them said they'd want to speak to their deceased grandparents and so on. Some of them said that they would want to speak with deceased scientists or, 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 or you know, famous people that they would love to get wisdom from um, and for asking for personal guidance and, and education and so on. But Tom himself said that for him, his greatest interest and he considered it to be the the, the most uh, earth-shaking, so to speak, is um, to be able to go back and speak, for example, to Jesus or to Moses or to uh, uh, to Muhammad to, uh, to, or to Abraham Lincoln. And as he put it, to set the record straight. Oh, how interesting. Because, you know, so many claims have been made about people. Um, yes. And they're not true because they've been they've been you know they've been partly just because of of of, of oral traditions changing things as with time and partly due to politics. Um, the true historical facts have been have been muddied, to put it mildly. And wouldn't it be nice to be able to quote set the record straight and and, yes, and to hear to hear from the people who were who were there, you know, yeah. what their that, experiences that's were. Interesting. I'm wondering if. How much harder it will be to connect with people? Because we know now um, that mediumistic communication works 
I won't say it's not possible when there's no connection between the communicator and the and the recipient of that communication, but it's certainly much easier to communicate for me to go to a medium and get a communication from my grandmother than from Abraham Lincoln. Um, I'm wondering if the soul phone will get around that problem, will allow us to communicate with people more distantly past and people with whom the communicator doesn't have a relationship. Good that question. Would be important. Let me, yes, and let me tell you what my prediction is based on the physics of spirit as I understand it. The, um, and I start with the, the, the na- understanding the nature of light, which, by the way, is more mysterious than the public realizes. Yes. Um, and one of the things that we know about light um, is that, you know, a star is born, okay, and the light is now traveling in all directions. And long after the star is, has died, that light is still exists, Yes. And it exists in almost perfectly pristine form. It doesn't degrade. It doesn't become noisy to any great extent in the vacuum of space. I mean, if it all became random, which is what, you know, happens with simple material systems, things entropy. Entropy. That doesn't happen with light in the vacuum of space. Light is a kind of immortality. If you, if, if there was entropy of light, when you and I look at, look up at the sky at night, we'd see mush. We don't see That's much. true. I had never we, thought of that. You're right. We Absolutely see a history right. of the starlight going back millions or billions of years. In fact, yes. the claim is in physics that there's light that was formed shortly after the Big Bang, 13.7 billion years ago. This, quote, background radiation of this light, those photons are still vibrating today. They're vibrating in every room in because they're in they're everywhere in the universe. They've put telescopes out in space. They've mapped the background radiation, and they can see the actual early structure of the universe thirteen point seven billion years ago. Wow! The light doesn't lose its information. Now it does get quote weaker. It gets weaker, but it doesn't lose its integrity to any great degree. So, by the way, a thousand years or two thousand years, there's nothing in terms of a That's photon. Nothing. It's That's nothing right. in terms of a photon. That's right. It's less and than so, a second. And so, the the reason the the, the primary variab- uh, variable that I believe, based on the, what I will call the physics of spirit that I'm being led to, and based on what we're learning from the other side, has to do with the motivation and intention of the person in the greater reality. So, so as you you know, as you know, and I've and a lot of people reported this, and I'm giving papers on this right now in terms of technology. People who are quote bigger in life than this life are bigger in life than in the next. People who are were, were very energetic, who were, who, were, who were motivated, who had deep curiosity, deep caring, deep love. That love continues, and so it's not surprising. That you know somebody like Jesus, for example, the physical Jesus, the Jesus that was on the earth two two thousand years ago. I mean, his his energy hasn't dissipated, and he was such a powerful being, and he receives all his information from the divine. So yes. he's going to be able to come through just as strongly now as he did two thousand years ago, yes. because he cares. So, yes. you know, I think the reason why mediums um, don't receive the, I mean. Mediums have a very limited experience. Their experience is they're receiving communication from people who are grieving their loved ones within some time span of the time that they that the, the loved one has died. And the only incentive that the person, quote, on the other side in the greater reality has to communicate 
is because they have a half hour, an hour to just con- convey to their loved one here in the physical that they're okay, that they're still with them, and so on. But otherwise, there's very little opportunity um, for someone, quote, on the other side to maintain a relationship um, with someone here because they're ignored. They're and, not and, heard. And nor is there the wish for the most part, it seems to me, because the time is very different there. They don't miss us. They are able to check in on us whenever they want to because they can just lower their vibration and they're right in the room, although we can't see them. So they know we're fine, but they know we have to be here for a while. And there is so much to do where they are now. And they're sure. having fun. Absolutely. So as soon as, as, soon as they but, let us know they're but, okay, ah, they're gone. No, I disagree with you there. I, and I'm, I'm going to have to say this. That applies to some people. But it doesn't apply to all people. Well, that's true. Some there people, are people who make some a charge of doing who, this. Yes. First of all, some people really love their kids. They really love their grandkids. And as long as they have an opportunity to be with their kids or their grandkids, they will choose to spend time with them. That's number one. And number two, there are very special beings, people who, who experience humanity as a family, as a whole, as their family, not just their physical loved ones, people who um, were uh, uh, really loved animals or really cared about the planet, and so their they they experience the earth as their home, and so consequently, for them, and this is what the evidence suggests to us, that that if people choose, they can continue to care, and I think what you know what's going to happen with the soul phone. It's going to increase the probability that people, quote, on the other side are going to choose to remain connected with their loved ones. It'll be easier and it'll be less frustrating for them. Absolutely. One of the things we want to do, Gary, though, is is reassure people who are not hearing from their loved ones now that nevertheless those people still care. Time is very different on the other side or, or in the in mm-hmm. the death levels, the places where people go after they die. And I use the word die because it's gotten a bad name. It's the best time of your life, frankly, for many of us. Uh, but time is different there. They don't and, – and they're able to check in on us. So – if you're not hearing from some, maybe you're a widow and, and your husband materialized six months after his death, which happens in roughly 50% of cases, so you know he's okay. You could contacted him through a medium, but you don't hear from him now. You have to make the effort, and sometimes he doesn't even come through. If you're in that situation, and many people are, it doesn't mean he loves you less. What it means is that he's doing many other things. He knows you're fine, and in his mind, he'll see you in a second. Because time is so different where he is now. He doesn't grieve the way we on earth sometimes grieve. So I just want to reassure people, Gary is absolutely right. There are, and I, I, mean, I, I know of people whose loved ones are in contact with them all the time. They've made that a, pr- a primary objective of this period of their lives and the lives of their loved ones here. And they, they're, they're in contact all the time. But if it's not happening in your case, it doesn't mean you're loved less. It just absolutely. means that. Absolutely. And I would, it just means and I would, that they're would, doing some other things. <laughs> and here's what I would say as a scientist. As a scientist, not only does the theory predict that, but the data are consistent with that. Wow. The data are consistent. You yes. mean, you're, you're getting results of experiments that suggest that's true. That's right. That are, well, when I say when, – when I use the phrase are consistent with, what I mean by that is that there's – there's evidence that comes through mediums in research with mediumship, which supports the statement that you're saying. Good. People can always argue there are alternative explanations to what mediums 
what mediums report. So, for example, just because a medium tells us that our loved ones still love us, we can't be 100% sure that that's true because mediums have their own biases. That's number one. Sure. And number two, um, you know, mediums don't like to hurt people. So you, so the data are consistent with these beliefs, but the only way that we'll know for sure is when we have the technology. And you can talk to, you know, I haven't spoken to my deceased father. Well, I mean, personally, I haven't spoken to him since he passed, which is 30 years ago, and he hasn't come through a medium um, in at least 10 years. But my guess is, that my father loves me just as much now as he did then. Yes, yes. And he'd be really happy right. to tell me that once we've got this technology. <laughs> yes. Uh, and that would be We're totally consistent it. with who my father is. And yes. I hope he's busy and happy doing all the wonderful things with his life. Right, right. No, right. You never call. You never write. Well, it was too difficult. But now that we can just ring each other up, it's easy. Exactly. We're going to take another break. This is Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. You are an eternal being. You never began. You never will end. And when you fully grasp that fact, it will change everything in your life. Our guest today is my dear friend, Dr. Gary Schwartz. And we'll be right back. To know more about what really happens when we die, or if you're just curious about some of the things discussed on Seek Reality Radio, come and join the friendly seekers at AfterlifeForums.com. Roberta Grimes administers a growing community in an atmosphere of love and acceptance. It really is possible to know the truth. Give yourself the gift of understanding. Share your thoughts with people who are eager to listen. Finally, get your big questions answered. Afterlifeforums.com The truth about your own eternal nature turns out to be even more wonderful than your most optimistic hopes. Afterlife researcher Victor Zamet has long been a leader in the field of helping us understand what is going on. Like Roberta Grimes, Victor is an attorney. Like her, he was dissatisfied with the scientific and religious explanations of reality, so he did what lawyers do. He examined the evidence. And when he drew the same set of conclusions that every open-minded researcher has drawn, he began to educate the world. Roberta considers the free Friday Afterlife report that Victor and Wendy Zamet produce to be indispensable access to fresh information about our one reality. Go to victorzamet.com and sign up to receive their wonderful Friday Afterlife report. That's V-I-C-T-O-R-Z-A-M-M-I-T dot com. It's the best news you'll read all week. Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. Every time my dear friend Dr. Gary Schwartz and I get together, we kind of make news. We we always have something planned to talk about and we always go off and talk about something else and I hear from people afterwards, you know, you're the 
or usually they say he, he's the first person who's ever said that, or that's groundbreaking, or how come he didn't notice that he said something amazing? And uh, it, frankly, everything he says to, is amazing to me, so I just never noticed that. But it feels like we're doing the same thing again, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the fun of life. Yes, it is. Um, certainly, it's part of the fun of doing this research. Yes. One of the things I wonder about is uh, the relationship between um, my hero, one of my big heroes, Max Planck, and his theory of how consciousness operates and, you, and your theory of spiritual physics. So let me just read a couple of quotes from Max Planck. For, for people who don't know, in 1918, um, this extraordinary physicist received the Nobel Prize for basically having been the founder of quantum physics, which is the actually the, phys- the plug between the physics on this reality level and the physics in all of re- the rest of reality. I'm pretty confident that's true. But his d- discovery was epic. And the most important discovery so far in all of human history was made by Max Planck and has been ignored to this day. He discovered that consciousness is primary and pre-existing. Think about that. They ignore that fact to this day. I mean, quantum physics was nothing compared to this. In 1931, he said, I regard consciousness as fundamental. I regard matter as derivative from consciousness. We cannot get behind consciousness. Everything we talk about, everything we regard as existing, postulates consciousness. Wow. Okay, Nobel Prize number two coming up. He said in 1944, as a man who has devoted his whole life to the most clear-headed science, to the study of matter, I can tell you as a result of my research about atoms this much, there is no matter as such. All matter originates and exists only by virtue of a force which brings the particles of an atom into vibration and holds this most minute solar system of the atom together. We must assume behind this force the existence of a conscious and intelligent mind. This mind is the matrix of all matter. Yes. Isn't that beautiful and brilliant <laughs> and clear? Yes. yes. And they, yes. they still ignore him. Yep. They revere his name and they ignore what he, saw, what he came to say. Well, he, they ignore those aspects of his thought that are going to require that they reconnect science and spirituality and therefore reconnect science and aspects of religion. Yes. I wrote a book in 2006 called The G.O.D. Experiments. where G-O-D is an acronym for Guiding, Organizing, Designing Process. And the subtitle is How Science is Discovering God in Everything, Including Us. And what this book does is it in part explains my journey of how it was that my own understanding of, of physics, before I learned Max Planck's quote, came to led me to the same conclusion that Max Planck came to and many of us have independently come to these um to these conclusions and i i asked people in the beginning of the book to imagine the following i say imagine that there was no old testament there was no new testament there was no koran imagine there were no seers there were no mystics there were no um uh religious people we didn't know anything about all of this all that we had was 24 century science, now 21st century science. Would science on its own, in its attempt to understand the origin and evolution of order in the universe, come to the conclusion that some sort of guiding, organizing, designing process, i.e. some sort of universal conscious mind, was responsible for order in everything? And then what I said was, the answer that I've come to is yes, and let me explain 
why. Yes. So yes. I was led to this conclusion um, um, through an analysis of science and also various kinds of experiments. And the physics of spirit um, uh, uh, essentially speaks to the same notion of the privacy of consciousness, the privacy, primacy of intention. Um, and other philosophers have said this. I mean, there, it's been said by many different people. And I think that the movement to what's being called post-materialist science. Um, in fact, we have a, a um, it's called the Manifesto for Post-Materialist Science is being published in the September issue of the journal Explore, with, with the Larry Dossie's journal, the Journal of Science Healing. And this is a consensus a statement um, uh, made by, I think it was eight scientists, uh, and, and it's authored by Mario Beauregard, myself, and Lisa uh, Miller from Columbia. Wow. And okay. it lays out the, the case, the contemporary case for Max Planck's statement. Oh, that's fabulous. Can you send that to me? I would love to see I that. will. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I will do that. By the way, I have to ask you a quick question. I don't know how much time we have, but I would like to ask you, and your, even also members of your audience, a quick question. I'm partly doing this to collect data and also partly to, uh, to, um, to, to see whether there are any synchronicities here. And so let me ask a really crazy question. Ready for this? Yes. You're supposed to say yes. Okay. <laughs> have, you, have you had, during the past week or so, any encounters, experiences, either seeing on television or reading a book or actually physically seeing a giraffe? A giraffe. Now, the answer is probably no, but I wanted to ask that question. Anyway. I, I think I saw, a, I, the, I, I don't watch television, but I do, on a, when, in inter, quiet, sort of quiet moments, read magazines primarily science related and i think i saw in one a picture of a man who was giving uh, medical attention to a giraffe that's the only really? thing i think of but that's yeah. very interesting and when was that can you recall approximately i don't know if it was in the past week but it was within the past couple of weeks okay past couple of weeks and then let me ask you another question um during within this period of time have you had any major connection or experience of something to do with paris or the eiffel tower Um, only friends of mine on Facebook were sent a picture from Paris. Okay, that's now I knew why I was supposed to ask this question of you right <laughs> what? now. Why? So first of all, let me ask you the following question. How <laughs> often France do you, and Paris have to do together? I don't I understand. will tell you. That's okay. why it's so hilarious. I've right. just written a paper about this. But let me ask you one last question. How often do you think you... you you see pictures of giraffes, of people feeding giraffes or, or uh, treating giraffes or anything like that. Once a week, once know, a month, once a year. Oh, maybe a few times a year because, yeah, as a, I say, I read a lot of science stuff. Right. So maybe let's say three times a year, right? Okay. Or maybe even more than that because people like to four or five okay, times how many? Four or five times a year. Perfect. And how often do you receive an email or see something about uh, – the Eiffel Tower. 
Um, I guess never. <laughs> Not very often. <laughs> never. Okay. So that for you is extremely rare. Okay. Yeah. It's so rare. the probability of you having a giraffe and having an Eiffel Tower within a relatively short period of time is an unusual coincidence for you. Is that correct? Yeah, but it never would have occurred to me that it mattered. Of <laughs> course not. Difference. Of course not. That's why I'm telling you the story. <laughs> okay. So now, let me share this with you quickly. I met a gentleman. On the, for the case of the radio show, I'll call him Mr. M. M just stands for Mr., okay? Who was referred to me by a doctor, and I'll just call him Dr. D, D for doctor, okay? So I have to keep this anonymous. And Dr. D referred me to Mr. M because Mr. M's, both his mother and his father, had died fairly recently. And he was severely grieving. I mean, just desperately grieving. Um, and uh, he was, and Dr. Uh, Dr. D was very concerned about his friend and asked me if I would speak with uh, Mr. M and potentially arrange for him to have um, some research mediumship readings because this man is very skeptical but he really wanted to know if his mother and father was still here okay so i spoke to this person this is a few weeks ago i spoke to this person and then i arranged for him to have some readings with a couple of very gifted uh mediums okay who will also remain anonymous now unbeknownst to me and to them because he wanted to do this scientifically he decided to do a little experiment and in this experiment, he, in his head, besieged his deceased mother. And he said, if you're here, could you please communicate to the medium or in some way your favorite animal, which was a giraffe, and your favorite city, which was Paris? Oh, wow. Okay. So now let me tell you what happened. Um, he has these things. He has three readings. I was able to arrange three very quick readings, which is very rare for me to do. But he was really desperate, and I felt that – and he wanted to do research. And you know me. I'm a sucker for doing research. Yes. I, I have a, <laughs> your listeners, some of you that may know, I have a disease. I have a disease called science. In yes. fact, a neurosurgeon recently gave it a formal label. He calls it scientitis. So I've had, a, I've had appendicitis, and I've had sinusitis, and now I have scientitis. And, and I don't no think cure. it's treatable. I don't think there's no cure. Well, right. so, so what happened during the readings? Because we, okay, we well, only okay. have five minutes left, and I really okay. want to hear all of this. Okay, so here's what happens. He calls me to tell me what happened in the three readings. And he, and he mean, and meanwhile, Dr. D spontaneously emailed him a photograph that he had taken the day before, in Africa, of a giraffe that happened to walk by his window. Oh, my goodness. So he's not in Africa very often, and he doesn't typically look out a window and see a giraffe literally no. walk by. And he just chanced looking out the window, and there was a giraffe. And he got this beautiful picture, and sort of as an inspiration, he texted this picture to me and to, um, and to uh, uh, Mr. M., so Mr. M, it was because of that that he then uh, uh, disclosed this experiment, okay? Meanwhile, the night before, Rhonda and I had watched not one but two movies on demand. And coincidentally, both of them featured Paris 
and Eiffel Towers. Wow. So I began to wonder about whether or not there was – and then I began to realize, we both realized that we had been having giraffe-Paris synchronicities, but we weren't aware of it. So I'll tell you the first few. Literally, we only have the, four minutes, Gary. Okay, well, did gonna, did he get, get it from – in his readings, did, did, did his mom come through on that? Okay, the, here's what's so interesting. This is the take-home point. The mom came through with regard to Paris in one of the readings, but she did not come through with giraffe. And for the record, this is – you probably – I don't know how many readings you've ever witnessed, but I've witnessed thousands of readings. I'm sure, mediums. yeah. There is only one reading that I know of that a medium specifically talked about a giraffe in all that time. And coincidentally <laughs> – that very reading, she also talked about Paris. Oh, my goodness. And I was reading about that reading on the plane flying to New York City, and it was two days, and I was – because we were writing a book about this, and it was happy to include that reading. So I was rereading about the giraffe and the, the Paris-French connection, never thinking that my reading, this one reading that I had witnessed about Paris and and France would in any way connect with the readings that I had just now scheduled. So we don't have the time to go through this, but listen to this. There were over 15 Paris giraffe coincidences that took place within a five-day period that were so extraordinary, I was forced to the conclusion, forced to the conclusion by the evidence that the universe was pulling out all the stops to make sure that he would realize this. And what's happened is that I have, since I wrote this paper, which is, and have submitted it to the journal, there are, there are a few spiritual people that I'm connected with. And so I've asked them about giraffes in Paris. Every one of them has had an unusual giraffe Paris connection. Oh, and me of too. Course, okay. and if, exactly. And you're in the list. And it's very <laughs> rare for you, and it had no meaning for you, like my no. Paris g- giraffes coincidence oh, had no meaning to me until I saw the larger context. So what this does is it reminds us that there's a much greater spiritual process going along here, particularly yes. in the science of all of this. Okay. So I'll just leave you with that thought. Food to ponder. Maybe some of your listeners will start thinking about giraffes in Paris. <laughs> I'm so sorry we have, we have to do this again, Gary. We always have so much fun. But we've, we've come to the end of our two, two quick hour uh, of talking to my wonderful friend, Dr. Gary Schwartz. I'm Roberta Grimes. My books are The Fun of Dying, Find Out What Really Happens Next, and the forthcoming The Fun of Staying in Touch, where we explore new developments in afterlife communication, and Dr. Schwartz is on the cutting edge of that. There are also are several novels. Go to robertagrimes.com, and you can see everything I'm working on. And if you sign up there, you and I can stay in touch. We've been talking with the wonderful Dr. Gary Schwartz. Each of his books is a must-read. Just go to Amazon.com, go down the list. Please join us next week with my guest will be the amazing Donna Smith-Moncrief, and she's a dedicated afterlife researcher with a beautiful and inspiring story. Please don't miss that. And now go out and make the most of this coming week in our one reality, and we're proving now that we have one reality, knowing that you are an eternal being, and this is true as well. You are infinitely, infinitely loved. 
You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about your eternal life. To learn more, tune in every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. For lively and positive discussions, visit www.afterlifeforums.com. To contact Roberta, email her at roberta at seekreality.com. Wishing you a productive week empowered by the truth of who you really are.